Well, I, I love that earlier in, the, in, our, in our worship service, we, we did the song, Good, Good Father, because it really kind of plays into where we're going today. We are on week three of just looking at prayer, this thing that, yes, we can kind of give an answer for it a lot of times of, hey, do you pray? Do you believe in prayer? Yes, yes, but, but what is it? And we've, we've spent weeks now just looking at what is prayer, and we said that prayer is an intention, it's intentionally conveying a message to God in the first week, and then we kind of looked at, okay, when we pray, there's some ways that we don't pray, like what are our motives when it comes to prayer? And then last week, we started looking at what we call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we got to see the first half of it, okay, and we, when we pray, we, we pray for God's will to be done. When we, when we pray, we, we pray to our Father, to our, our Abba, to our Daddy, and it's this intimate thing that we get to do. And then there's going to be a little bit of a shift today. Um, in the first couple of verses that we looked at last week, everything is your, because it's directed to God. Your name, your will, your kingdom. And today, we're going to see a little bit of a shift in the Lord's Prayer. And it goes from your, and the word our becomes the, the prevalent thing. And when it comes to Christianity, like years ago, Rick Warren wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. And the, the, the book opens with, it's not about you. And that is 100% correct. Um, but we are involved in this. Years ago, I heard a pastor say, God doesn't care about your happiness. And I, I kind of sat back in the pew a little bit and was like, I read scripture and I think he is. Now, he may not be concerned with it in the sense that we think about it in, oh, we just always want to be happy, but he thinks about it as a good father. He wants us to be happy because it's a reflection of his goodness in our lives. And that's what we'll get to see a little bit today, this good father. And this week, I, I tried to play that out with my kids. Uh, we had a chance to go and see some of Whitney's family. Whitney grew up uh, in, in Texas's hat in Oklahoma, and she's going to kill me when I get home for that. But uh, we got to go and see some of her family. Some of the restrictions have been lifted, and we said, hey, I haven't got to meet my nephew yet. He's, he's a couple months old. I'm like, let's go. Let's go see the family. And so she grew up in the Tulsa area, and every time we go there, my boys know that at some point, I am going to find an excuse to go to 71st and Garnett in Tulsa because at 71st and Garnett, there is this place called Merritt's Bakery. Merritt's Bakery is like my happy place. It is this unbelievable bakery where you walk in and it's just all of these glass shelves of all of the goodness that they have made. And they make cakes, they make cupcakes, they make cookies, they make every kind of brownie imaginable. And my boys know at some point I'm going to find an excuse to take them there so that I can be a good father. Because I want them to enjoy that goodness, and I get a little goodness out of it as well. But it's a chance for me to take them in there and say, hey, pick something. And man, it's, it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They just walk down these, these shelves and look at all this stuff, and they, I want this kind of cookie. I want this kind of brownie. I'm like, all right, load them up. Let's take them home and let's eat them. Why? Because, yes, I want some of that as well, but I do love just watching their faces. I love watching my kids' faces as they stare into this, oh my gosh, this carb-laden glory land, and they pick what they want, and they smile, and the people behind the counter hand it to them, and it's a chance for me to bless my kids. Like, I love doing that, and I can't bless them with everything that they would ever want, and God can do that if he wants to, but watching their faces when they say, hey, this is, this is my treat. Yeah, it is your treat. Now, I, I paid for it, so it's kind of mine, but I love watching that one because I want to be a good father to my kids, and when it comes to prayer, what we're going to see today is a shift where the word our becomes prevalent and we're the ones requesting things, asking things of God, and what we find is God loves to bless us in those. And so let's start. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. 
and it's pretty quick. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's interesting how Jesus words this one simple line. I mean, literally, in your Bible, it's just one quick little snippet of a line. Um, But in the original text, when this was originally written, um, it's a mixture of Greek and Aramaic, it's 72 words total. So when Jesus says, hey, don't go on babbling and things like that, Jesus got to the point with this prayer. This was a good lunch prayer. Like, he prayed over the thing. You were able to get to the food that you wanted to eat. It's only 72 words. So if you only have 72 words to convey such a powerful message as the model prayer, the fact that you would repeat something is very, very important. And he does here. He says, give us this day, referring to a time period, our daily bread, the, the, referring to the same time period, this day and daily. This is important. He says, hey, give us this day our daily bread. What it shows is prayer is a daily request for life's necessities. It's a daily request for life's necessities. Now, this is where we kind of get into needs and we get into wants. He's not saying to pray for all the wants. He's saying we need to be in prayer daily. And he reiterates that this is a daily approach to asking for life's necessities because that's what bread represents. He's not just saying, give us this day our daily bread and then don't pray for any of the other life's necessities. Bread represents all of life's necessities. I mean, food is one of those things you have to have. Shelter, you have to have. Water, you have to have. Air, you have to have. These are the necessities, and this is what bread represents. He's not just saying, hey, make sure you pray for you know, your favorite type of bread loaf that day. He's saying, hey, when it comes to necessities, It's our opportunity to go before God and offer up an intentional message saying, God, I know this isn't a want. This is a need. And God wants us to pray that. He wants us to pray that so much that he reminds us of that. And we see a couple of things within this verse. The first one's this. God cares for our bodies. Like, he cares about that. In the model prayer, he says, I want you to come to me with life's necessities. Now, sometimes we come with wants, we know that, and sometimes those wants are not answered. Like, I prayed a lot of times growing up, God, make me taller. Like, is six foot too much to ask for, God? Like, (laughs) there's some short people in the crowd right now from a volunteer standpoint that are, like, saying amen. Like, you get that. Like, I prayed that so many times. Like, God, what's wrong with six foot? Is, Is that too much to ask for? And God went, yeah, it is. I know your genetics. I knew you before you were even formed. I knew exactly what you needed, and you need to be five foot eight. And I remember praying, God, is, is five foot nine so bad? And he went, no, no, five eight's what it's going to be, buddy. And so that became like a want. But when it comes to needs, God cares for our bodies. Like when we pray and we say, hey, God, I, I need this in my life. If I don't have this, it's not so much a want. It's this is going to have a profound impact on my life. It's going to have a profound impact on my family. Like, if I don't have food, we're going to starve. God cares for your body, and he invites us to ask for those things. And he answers that. And sometimes he's the one who's doing it and providing certain ways where, you know, you were really, really needing a job, and you you, you didn't think you were qualified for it, and you you looked around at all the other people that are applying and going, man, there's no way I'm going to get this. And God goes, no, I know you need this. And you get a phone call, and it's an answered prayer because God intervened in some way and said, I know exactly where you need to be when you need to be there. 
And sometimes that takes time. Like, I, that's part of my story in being at South Point. Like, I, I was without a job for 18 months. I don't know how many times I was like, God, you know I need this. Look at this one. This one looks good. It, 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 it seems right. And he went, no, it's not time yet. And in God's perfect timing, I found myself in Abilene, Texas. I'm unbelievably thankful that God met my need the way I needed it to be met. And so God cares about our bodies, which we then kind of have to look at and go, okay, if God cares about my body, I need to care about it as well. And so sometimes, again, that's a, a physical thing where we're taking care of ourselves physically. And that's been kind of hard right now in this whole COVID thing, but that's one that we need to think about that. We need to think about it from a spiritual standpoint. Like God cares about our, the spirit within us. And so we need, to be, we need to be working at that and growing in those areas. If God cares about our body, we need to care about it as well. And he meets our needs in that. And I said, sometimes God's the one that does that. And then sometimes God puts other people in your life to meet those needs. And sometimes that's hard for us, if we're really honest. Like, we want, we want it to be this miraculous thing where it's like, man, I, I'm, I need this. And I'm, you're just waiting on God to come down like Shekinah glory and just descend on you and provide. But there's a lot of times he's provided that and he's provided it through this, through the body of Christ. And we forget that sometimes. And sometimes we need to pray, and sometimes we then need to listen because the way that God is going to reveal an answer to us might be through someone else. And so let me say this, like if you find yourself, you're in a time of need, reach out to other people as well. Reach out to the body because God's placed us here in order to help meet those needs. God cares about our body, we care about our body, and we care about the body. And so as a church, we come together and we help meet needs. We do that through our pantry, which we did yesterday. Over 100 people served in that. Uh, we meet that through knowing, hey, we've got people going through difficult times, and we want, to, we want to be the people that God has called us to be and help them. He cares about the body. We care about our bodies, and we care about the body. And so we also see this. We're called to live one day at a time. Give us this day our daily bread. So many times we get so forward thinking, that's not always a bad thing. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But sometimes we, we, we look so much to the future, we forget about the fact that God has placed you here today. Think about that for a second. It's May 17th, 2020, and God has placed you here on this earth. You're breathing right now to live this day, to live it to the fullest, to live it to his glory like, we forget sometimes that we have been called to live on a daily basis, where daily we go to God and say, hey, this is my need today, God. I, I need this from a physical standpoint. God, I'm, I'm tired. I need this from a mental standpoint. God, I feel empty. I need this from a spiritual standpoint. You've been called to ask today for what you need today. Now, at the same time, we have to think about it and, okay, what, what culture do we live in? You know, sometimes you could take that and you can go, okay, I'm just going to live for today. I'm not going to think anything else about tomorrow. But God would also say, hey, that's, you know, he gives a lot of proverbs about, hey, you know, the sluggard does this and the wise man does this or the ant does this and the foolish person does this. Like we live in a saved society. Um, and so when we live daily, we think a little bit future as well. Like, we live in a culture where, hey, you need to be thinking from a daily standpoint, here's the needs that I need to have met, but I'm also thinking a little bit forward as well because that's just our culture. 
And so that's where something like Financial Peace University, I can't wait to have that back up and going uh, because we talk about that. As we live daily, we, we honor God knowing that we're also going to be putting some things away. And then there's cultures where it looks a little different, where it's, hey, we rely more on other people. Like it's a generational thing. As we get older, uh, you know, mom and dad are going to move in with us. And I know we do that here, but it, it does look a little different depending on your culture. But you live daily depending on where God has placed you in this time and day and age. Uh, years ago, I've, I've got to go on some mission trips and see some different cultures. And, man, when I go to Venezuela, their culture looks very, very different than ours. It's way more laid back. Um, it's not so much a safe society. Um, that's just kind of their, their cultural thing is much more laid back. We're much more fast-paced. But we think through, okay, what does my daily look like here? And for us, sometimes that means putting away, but it also means we remember that this is the day that God has given us. And we're to live daily thinking and praying and reflecting on who he is and what he provides for us. And then there's a third aspect to give us this day our daily bread. And it would come a little bit later in Jesus' teaching, but there's a deep spiritual aspect to this. Because in John 6, Jesus is having a conversation with people, and he's talking about hunger. Hey, you eat. Guess what? From a physical standpoint, you're going to get hungry again. Now, depending on what you eat, it might last a little bit longer. It may subdue that hunger, but at some point, you're going to get hungry again. And Jesus says, hey, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats this bread, they will never hunger again. And so if we take that context of John 6, and then we put it back into Matthew chapter 6, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, from a spiritual standpoint, we pray daily that Jesus would be that all-fulfilling bread, that he would fill us up, that we would hunger no more from a spiritual standpoint. Like we live parts of our lives where we don't know Christ and we know what that hunger feels like, always searching, always longing for something more that's going to satisfy. And you finally, if you come to Christ, you know what that looks like. You know what satisfaction looks like. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. righteousness they will be satisfied. And we, we enjoy Christ and we experience Christ and he comes in and he changes us into a new creation and we hunger no more. Like I'm not looking for what's better than a relationship with Christ. I know nothing will satisfy like that. There's no want that I could have. There's no possession that I could have. There's no person that I could have that is going to sustain me and fill me like Christ does. And so we hunger and thirst daily for him. And he becomes that bread that satisfies for all eternity. But then you kind of have to ask the question, okay, do you, are you being fed by Jesus? Like, are you still searching, kind of grasping for this thing you think is going to satisfy when it's right in front of us and it's Jesus Christ? Because if you don't hunger for that, spiritually, you'll be starving. And you'll feel this longing. And you may wonder, what do I do to fulfill that? What do I do to satisfy that? And it's right in front of us, and it's Jesus Christ. As he's praying this model prayer, he's teaching us, as you pray for your daily necessities, for the necessities that you require in life, I can fulfill the greatest one. Like if you're physically hungry, you can find food. If you're thirsty, you can find water. But spiritually, the only thing that satisfies is Christ. It's knowing him. It's following after him. It's becoming more and more like him each and every day. And so prayer is this daily request 
for life's necessities. Then look in verse 11, or in verse 12. We're also going to look in 14 and 15. He says in verse 11, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. And then he says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And after the prayer, Jesus feels that he has to come back to this one. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is some interesting verse, verses. Um, and to get into them, I have to kind of explain what is a prayer of forgiveness. There's actually two of them. The first one is this. It's the first prayer that a believer ever prays. The first prayer of forgiveness is when a sinful person acknowledges, look, I've got all of this in my life, and it's a lot of baggage, it's a lot of darkness, I'm, I'm separated from God, but I'm going to pray to God by f- in faith and grace that he's going to forgive me of my sins. That's what we call like a prayer of forgiveness or a prayer of salvation. That's the first prayer that God hears, like he hears all prayers. That's the first one he's going to answer for you. And in that moment when a person says, hey, it's, it's not about me anymore. I want to follow Christ. I want to put my faith in him, and I want to follow after him. In that moment when someone prays that, in that instant, God takes that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He makes that dead person spiritually alive. He makes them into a new creation. That prayer is unbelievably powerful, and it's a beautiful prayer that many of you have probably prayed. If you haven't, this is another question. Like, are you ready to pray that prayer? Like, when when it comes to this, I, I try and be really clear. Like, as you grow up, depending on your denominational background or the time period in which you lived, people talk about coming to Christ in a lot of different ways. Like for me, if you've ever heard the term walk the aisle, um, if you, at, at least if you grew up in real small Baptist churches, that was a thing. You would walk the aisle. At the end of the message, they would give an invitation for you to come and, and pray for forgiveness and to have a relationship with Christ. And in other places, they go, hey, have you, have you prayed the sinner's prayer? And, and you, you, you say a prayer. It's different depending on the pastor every single time. There's not a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Um, but depending on that, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we equate that to, that's what saved me. I, did you walk the aisle? I walked the aisle. Did you pray the prayer? I prayed the prayer. Those don't save you. I want to be really, really clear on that. But there is a prayer involved. There's conveying an intentional message to God when you're at a point in life where you don't know him and you're ready to step into that being a follower of Christ. When you pray that, that, that is a moment where God does all the work. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. That's not the prayer that he is talking about here. One of the reasons is this, uh, when he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, but the bigger part is later. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, what that would mean is you're kind of in control of salvation. Like, you're the one, oh, I forgave everybody, so God has to forgive me. Well, this, this is a different prayer. Once a person is a believer in Christ, we are still called to pray for forgiveness. We know that we've been made into a new creation. We know that we've been given a heart of flesh, but we are still wrapped in sinful nature. Like everyone kind of knows that. Like even as a believer, look, I I know like there's times where I get upset about something I shouldn't be upset about. There's times where I say something that I shouldn't say. There's times I do things that I shouldn't do. And we, we war against that and we fight against that. We're also called when we know that's happening, we go back to God. 
and say, God, forgive me. Now, he's forgiven you. Like, when you become a believer, you're forgiven of every sin that you've ever done. It, you're made into a new creation. The crazy thing is, you're also forgiven of the sins you haven't even committed yet. But what he's talking about here is, as a believer, as someone who's following Christ, when I know I have messed up, God says, hey, you can come to me. Instead of running away, run to. Human nature is to run away. We see that on page three of the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. What's the first thing they do? They run to God and ask for forgiveness. No. They go and they hide. They, they, they're, they're ashamed of their sin. And so they hide from him. When instead, we need to run to him. And part of our daily prayer, part of our conveying intentional message to God is continuing to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us of our debts. Debts is sin. And it's plural for a reason, right? Like we know there's a lot of things going on here. And so we make that prayer. And when we pray for forgiveness, here's, here's what this prayer does. Prayers of forgiveness restore joy. Because we are ashamed, hopefully. Like hopefully when we sin, we look at it and go, man, I, I hate that I do that. Like I, I'm mad at myself. I'm ashamed. And, and there's kind of this... We feel that rift between God and ourselves. But when we pray for forgiveness, what it does is it restores joy. This is coming to God and saying, God, I messed up. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And the great thing is, when we pray those, there's a restoration of joy. Because when God looks at us, as we come to him, God, I messed up. I know. You think I didn't know that? You think I don't see everything that's going on because I'm God and I'm holy and I'm infinite, I know that you messed up. And I love that you've come to me. And I love to restore the sense of joy to our relationship. Like when we ask for forgiveness, this is God wrapping his arms around us and going, I love you. I got reminded of that this week because I was cleaning some stuff out and a, a bag that I carry around and I found this letter and I was like, what is this? I'd, I'd completely forgotten about it. And I'll also say I've thrown it away because I don't ever want to see it again. Um, it was a letter that one of my kids wrote to me. Only one of my kids can write, so it's, you know which one. And it said, Dad, I'm sorry that I annoyed you, and I love you. Please forgive me. And that's kind of what this looks like. I don't know what he had done. Now, can kids do things that are annoying? Most certainly. And I guess I have verbalized that, which I probably shouldn't have. And he felt that. He felt, hey, there's, there's a rift here. And so he wrote a letter. I'm sorry that annoyed you. Please forgive me. I threw that thing away when I found it today. And the reason I threw it away is because when I'm really in the world of honest and not caught up in emotion, you, you don't annoy me, ever. You frustrate me at times. But I should never verbalize you annoy me. And so that's gone. I don't want that anymore. Like, as a good father, when I hear that, hey, please forgive me, of course, I forgive you. Why? Because I love you deeply. And I don't want there to be that tension. I want there to be this restoration of joy. And when we come to God and we confess our sin, he's going, I forgive you and I love you. And we feel that. We feel that restoration. And at the same time, we need to feel it with others as well. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, he's not saying you're not going to have salvation. 
but he's saying, hey, before you come to me on a daily basis to confess your sin, you need to make right a relationship with other people as well. Okay, somebody trespassed or made you upset. We've got to learn to forgive them because we, we experience the same thing. There's this rift, there's this dividing of people. And we know when we forgive others, that restoration of joy is so beautiful. And then you look back and you go, why did I hold on to it for so long? Years ago, I had someone that I worked with and they had the ability to, to get under my skin is the nicest way that I can put it. Um, and I probably did some things to get under their skin as well. But there were a number of times where I'm like, this is about to cost you a job. <laughs> um, and I held on to that for a long time and was frustrated and in the back of my mind knowing, hey, you need to be the one to instigate a conversation and get this out there because you dwelling on this is not healthy. And I ran into this person years later at a, at a wedding for a friend of mine, and I said, you know, here's, I, I got so convicted, I was like, I need to have this conversation. So I said, hey, look, can we talk for a second? I said, hey, look, back in the day when we were working at that place, I know I did some things that annoyed you, and you know you did some things that annoyed me. I'm sorry that I acted the way that I did. I'm sorry that I handled some of those things the way that I did. And then this person goes, I am sorry for the things that I know I did. And man, it was just like this weight lifted off the two of us of a, Okay, and then we started telling stories and sharing things. Like, it was a good time of reuniting with a friend. All because I had to go, look, I need to forgive you. Also so that I can be forgiven of some things as well. And when we pray prayers of forgiveness, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sin. We find a restoration with God that's beautiful. And then look in verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, a couple of years ago, this verse kind of got some notoriety just on a global scale um, because Pope Francis actually changed the wording of this verse. If you guys can remember, it was a few years ago, uh, Pope Francis being the Pope, the one that has a little, little more followers on Twitter than I do, but um, he changed it to, do not let us fall into temptation. Um, and the idea and the reason behind it, he said, look, God's not going to lead us into temptation. That's not what a good father would do. He said, I'm the one who falls. That's on me. It's not him. So I want to kind of explain this verse because I'm not changing the way that it says. Um, because one, in the original language, that's what it says. And there's no reason to change it to make us feel better or to try and create some theology about what is a good father. Because when we think about a good father, God actually kind of turns that on its head at times. Um, when we say a good father, a good father would never call on one of his children to sacrifice their child. But God did that. Now, it was a test with Abraham and Isaac. But God said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up to the altar. I want you to sacrifice him just to see if he was going to be obedient in that. And Abraham was. That had to be a very crazy scene. Um, and God said, stop. Like the obedience, but that's not how we operate. Look over in the thicket. There's a ram. Sacrifice that. But we would never say a good father would call on something like that. We would never say a good father would sacrifice one of his kids for a bunch of rebellious people. Like, I, I just wouldn't ever look at one of my boys and go, you know what, you're worth um, this murderer over here. You're worth um, this person who's fornicating. And yet God laid down his own son's life to cover all of those people of which we are. 
And so good father, we kind of have to redefine that a little bit. And there's a couple things we know. One, in James it says, you know, no one gets to say God has tempted me. But we have to realize every single step that we take, every last one of them, could be a step towards temptation. We have to acknowledge that. We have an infinite number of temptations in the world, and every step we take could lead us towards that. And so that's why we pray to God, hey, don't, lead, don't let my steps fall into temptation. Because we can be led in a lot of different ways. I mean, even in Scripture, this is where I have a hard time rewording this. It says, and by the Spirit, Christ was led into the desert. Now, he went there to pray. He also knew he was going to be tempted. And so it, he was tempted, but he didn't fall. And so we pray for deliverance. Never forget that you have a deliverer. Like as we take all of these steps where sin could just be right around the corner, never forget that you have a deliverer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as we're walking, temptation is there. It doesn't mean we have to fall into it. We know that because... Christ went into that desert knowing everything that was going to happen. And he has, after 40 days of fasting and prayer and just clarity from God, he has an interaction with Satan. And Satan attempts to tempt him with some pretty powerful things that we would fall into probably. Oh, you're hungry? Why don't you just physically meet that need? Like, you're familiar with the term hangry? Um, there's times where we make dumb decisions because we're hungry. And Jesus is really hungry and he goes, No. And he gets tempted with power. He gets tempted with the world at his feet. And he says no. So how does Jesus resist temptation? How do we resist that? One, we have a deliverer. And so we have to press into that deliverer. When Jesus was tempted, one, he was prepared. He had spent 40 days in fasting, which we're going to talk about next week, or in a couple weeks. He'd spent that time looking for clarity from God. He'd spent that time in prayer. He was prepared to face temptation. And so many times, we're just not prepared. Like, we haven't put on the full armor of God, as Ephesians 6 talks about. We haven't spent time just praying, God, be my deliverer. We just walk out the door in the morning, and then we wonder, why do I keep falling at this? You're not prepared. Like, if you keep failing a test and you go, man, why can't I get it? Well, have you studied? No. Well, you weren't prepared. Like so many times, we go about our daily life not prepared to face temptation. And we need to be prepared. We need to model what Christ did. He also knew God's word. Whenever he was faced with temptation, his way of combating it was to quote scripture. Even when Satan would attempt to quote scripture, which he misquotes, Jesus would correct it with the right quote. And he would use God's word to push back against temptation. And so many times, we forget that's our weapon. The word of God, it's like a sword is the way that Paul puts it. And there's so many times we forget, hey, man, I feel like I keep falling into this temptation. What are you doing to fight back against it with God's word? Like, are you spending time pouring over scripture? Because if you begin your day pouring into God's word, it's a lot easier to push back against temptation. You've prepared yourself and you've got a weapon. And he just relied on God. He knew that God was the deliverer. And so when we face temptation, we don't always need to run at it headlong and go, I'm going to fight you. There's a lot of times we need to go, hey, I'm going to run back to God and say, hey, I'm going to rely on you. I love you more than this temptation. Even this, that temptation is something you go, man, I, 
I, I kind of want that. My sinful nature says yes, but we go, no, I'm going to run to God in that moment. And when we do that, there's times we find deliverance, and we find that there's a lot of times God can take what was going to be temptation, maybe temptation to do something wrong, and he can turn it into something completely different and good. Earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast, and I, I heard the story about a guy named James Hanger. James Hanger has an interesting chapter in history because he was the first person to have a limb amputated in the Civil War. He was on the Confederate side in one of the first scrimmages. Um, Union soldiers are firing a cannon. And he and some, it's really just him, runs into a barn to try and hide. And a six-pound metal ball shot at high velocity comes through that barn, skips on the ground, and hits his leg and shatters it. And because no one knows he's in there, for four hours, he's just in and out of consciousness. He's bleeding, he's, he's awake, he's out, he's awake, he's out. And finally, some Union soldiers find him. They take him back, and doctors work on him for a while, but they, they have to amputate his leg about six inches below his hip. And at the time, your prosthetic was basically just a wooden shaft that they, once it had healed, fitted it to him, and later on, he was sent home. When he got home, he spent three months in his bedroom. His family didn't see him much. He was young 20s. Family didn't see him much. And man, I can't imagine what you would dwell on in that time. Man, people looked at amputees very differently then. Like you weren't going to be able to work in a very work-driven society of physical labor. I mean, the, the thoughts of depression, anxiety, anger, I, I know he had to have been tempted with those. That he really could have just buried his head in the sand and said, I want nothing more in life and been angry and bitter. After three months, again, family hadn't seen him much, he walked out. And they noticed something. When he walked out, he didn't have this wooden stump. He had a prosthetic leg because he was an engineering major before he went into the war. And in that three months, he had had a lot of temptation probably to be angry and bitter and just throw life by the wayside. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm not going to be tempted with that. I'm going to do something else with this. And he fashioned a prosthetic leg with a working knee, with a working ankle, um, and patented it and later on started the hanger company that for most of what we know of modern history has been the forerunner in prosthetics. You've heard of them some because if you've ever seen the movie 127 Hours, um, it's a story of a hiker who got his arm caught in a boulder and had to amputate it. Um, they provided him with his prosthetic. And if it's, you're looking for a little more family friendly, there's a wonderful movie involving a dolphin that had its tail cut off. They made a prosthetic limb for that dolphin. It has Morgan Freeman, it's a great movie. This guy is responsible for all of that because instead of falling into temptation, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this, I'm going to press into something better and do something different and made a profound impact on human history. And so as we look at all of it, this model prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A model prayer directed and in God's name. It's addressed to God. It's prayed in Christ's name. And it's driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, let's pray to honor God.
Let's pray that his will would be done and we would be okay with that. Let's pray for our necessities. Let's forgive and restore joy between God and ourselves and others. And let's pray that he would redeem us and keep us from temptation. Let's pray now. God, we love you. God, if there is someone out there that they can look at their life and they know, man, I've, I've tried doing all this on my own and it's just not working, God, I pray that you would, your spirit would be all over them. God, that maybe today would be the day that they pray the first prayer of forgiveness. God, I know I'm a simple person. I want to turn away from that. I want to follow Christ. If that's you today, if you've prayed that prayer, I am asking, please fill one of those connect cards out. We would love to connect with you and walk through this time with you and celebrate the fact that you've been made new. God, I pray that each and every day on a daily basis, we would pray in such a way that we acknowledge you, that we thank you, and that we follow you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.